Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Curb your enthusiasm. Neffet recommends new Christmas curbs on hospitality and household mixing to combat COVID. We've the very latest. In the next number of weeks, we have to be cautious in respect of that variant um, and its potential to do harm. Germany imposes new lockdown restrictions on the unvaccinated. And as Christmas looms, we debate the role of fresh air and fighting the virus. We also look back at all the big stories of the week as Hollywood movie star Alec Baldwin gives his first TV interview about the fatal shooting on his film set. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, no, no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. You can get in touch with us on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight what Christmas hospitality might look like this festive season. The Thornita has said the government will respond to layoffs in the hospitality sector and the nighttime economy as a result of any new measures brought in to tackle COVID before Christmas. Public health officials at Neffet held a meeting today. It's believed they want to see limits of six people at a table in hospitality settings, social distancing and a two-hour rule if distancing can't be observed. Neffet is also suggesting a limit of three other households visiting this Christmas. Well, I'm joined here in studio by Fianna Fáil TD Neve Smith, Irish Daily Mail Executive Editor John Lee, and People Before Profit TD Paul Murphy. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. I want to go first to this advice from Neffet that they are expecting to give government, um, John. What, what can you tell us about what they're recommending? Well, I'll tell you what, I was briefed, you know, as we know, and we, we can go back into that later, the, the dance that goes on for the next few days. We're not quite sure when Cabinet will decide on it, but it, it, there won't be much of a lead up to Christmas. The, the, as you flagged, there'll be significant restrictions on hospitality. Essentially, that is described as going back to the pre-October 22, 22nd of October uh, restrictions. I can't quite remember what they were. I was going to say, tell remind you, us what was, what was happening around October What they've 22nd. recommended... What they've recommended is nightclubs close again uh, as soon as the government gives the go-ahead for that. There'll be restrictions in pubs and restaurants on um, the number of people who will be allowed to sit at tables. Um, that'll go back to uh, table service only. Uh, masks at tables effectively, and this is the words of, uh, of, uh, that we used at Neffet in discussion, no dancing, standing, moving around, which then leads on to uh, closure of nightclubs. But... Uh, probably an area that affects more of us, maybe someone here goes, still goes to a nightclub, I don't, um, they'll be, they're flagging restrictions on the number of households who can mingle, who can meet, and that's, that's three, three households back to that, which I, I personally didn't think we'd see again. Um, there are also 
concerning um, proposals to government um, that include 50% restriction on public transport, 50% um, reduction in capacity at indoor events. That would mean, I assume, the panto and um, uh, concerts, everything else. That's a lot further than we may have expected. Yes, that's when I'm briefed and it goes, it goes on and on. Um, um, and and I'm reading them here. Effect? Kind of I mean, we're talking actually about these things. Um, we discussed the panto concert venues, gigs for people, no dancing. I mean, you're really, you're really cutting Christmas there, aren't you? For many you people? are. Um, what we understand, and you see, this is a criticism that has been has been given. There isn't actually a quite a set choreography to what to what happens. Technically, we are to wait till next Tuesday. Um, for the cabinet to rubber stamp these proposals or reverse them or say, listen, that's not acceptable. Um, the problem with that is Neffet want these, these restrictions to apply for two weeks. So if you wait till next Tuesday, that brings you closer to Christmas. So where are they to be brought in tomorrow? Tell me what day tomorrow is. Um, the 4th. Fourth. Fourth. Third. Third. That's the 18th. But say it was next Tuesday, I think that I calculated that's the 7th. That brings you up to the uh, 21st. Or where are they to do what they have been doing, which is meet on the Tuesday, have a big discussion about the whole thing, then have an announcement. They've often said these won't kick in till Friday, which I think would bring you up to Christmas Eve, which means... This strikes me that they're really pushing all of this to the wire in the run-up to Christmas. It seems as though Neffet have decided that there has to be um, major restrictions on the population. The one thing that is not proposed, and government have repeatedly briefed this um, in recent weeks, is restrictions on travel. Now, that was something I, I, I know in my own life I found very, very, a, a real imposition on, on personal freedom. There, there's no proposal to restrict inter-county travel or, or the, the distance you can go from your home or, or drive around the country for now. Within the country, of course, now they've brought in the PCR testing and antigen testing for people flying in That's and out Oh, the sorry, country. and the, they're also looking to extend the, um, uh, which was flagged, uh, the instances uh, in which the COVID pass would be used, high-risk settings like gyms and and those kind of things. Okay. That'll, that'll the, li be the list goes on. Neve Smith, I want to come to you on this. Um, for a lot of people listening in tonight, they'll think, oh no, <laughs> not just like in the last couple of weeks have we been told to cut back on our social contacts. And I think people have been very aware, like we're hearing from businesses up and down the country, that people are, you know, cancelling Christmas parties, they're cancelling get-togethers, they are adhering to that. Tony Houlihan saying today that the infection rates have reduced, case numbers are tracking better than they've modelled. Yeah. And now we're getting recommendations about a whole host of new restrictions coming in right up to Christmas, probably including right over uh, the Christmas season and beyond. I suppose, Claire, the bottom line is one week ago we didn't know about this new variant. Seven days on, we have a new variant that we know very little about, that the European Parliament and their own, I suppose, scientists and doing the work that they have, have to do in terms of uh, checking out its potency and all of that kind of thing, um, will take another two weeks. Uh, and really, the Taoiseach has said himself, you're talking at least another four weeks before so we have a very clear picture in terms of analysing how um, the impact of this new variant on top of what we have, which is the Delta variant. So this is a preemptive strike in advance of knowing yeah. how Omicron, the new variant, is going to transmit yeah, yeah. within the Irish I mean, population. Is that is that what this is about? Well, it is, yeah. In fact, it's trying to protect people uh, and to, I suppose, curb the spread of the virus and this new variant because we know very little about it as yet. Okay, what do you make of um, 
these restrictions, this recommendation, of course, we, we, we're waiting to, to get that, that effort to give that letter to government and they will consider it the next Tuesday before we hear more. But what do you make of, of Neffet's recommendations, Paul? I think it would be very disappointing for people, I mean, for everybody who's trying to live and enjoy life and so on, but obviously in particular those who work and small businesses in the sectors, which will be very hard uh, affected. Um, and I think number one thing then that has to happen is if, if these are the things that we need uh, to do, and I suspect that if, if Neffet's saying that they are, I think that's going to be accurate, that they're going to be the kind of measures we're going to need to take, well then supports have to be put back in place immediately. Um, which means that the PUP, which has been tapering off for a couple of months now and is down to either 203 or 250 euros and has been closed to new entrants, that needs to be reopened, it needs to be restored to the level that people can eke out an existence on of 350. Similarly, in terms of the uh, EWSS, the, the wage subsidy scheme, those things need to be restored. Yeah, the Thornista did say that they would wait, uh, await recommendations from NEFA to see what they would do about the wage subsidy scheme. I know, but they've already been taking measures that have impacted on people's jobs. I mean, in reality, the measure about the opening of nightclubs and the timing and so on, you know, in reality was intended to curb the operation of nightclubs for the same reason that they're pointing in this direction now. So people have already been affected by the decisions. People are already unemployed as a consequence of government action in response to a pandemic. And those people absolutely need to be supported. I think that the broader question people will ask is how can we avoid being in this doom loop of opening, back to restrictions, opening, even in the context when we have such high levels of vaccination. How can that be avoided? Yeah. How have we yeah. managed you to know, get back to this point? When you say that, I'm thinking of what Micheál Martin said when he gave that big speech about reopening the country. And he said, when we, want, when we reopen, we want to stay open. Mm -hmm. and That's that clearly is, not happening. That, but that is the Taoiseach's and the government's intention, Claire. And it's really but important it's not, to say... It, but then so they shouldn't have stopped the contact tracing in the schools. Of course, no, you, as you know, NEFA's job is there to give advice and to give public health advice, and the government's job is to decipher that and decide what's best in terms of the country, education, business, and all of that, taking all of that into account. Okay. Can I just say, Claire, no, for the last two, just to get on this? to just on the restrictions the that we're two talking weeks, about. People so have been fantastic, and it is important to say that the booster, and looking abroad, the booster jab has had a significant impact in curbing COVID-19, the Delta wave, and hopefully it will do the same with this okay. as well. So and we've seen a significant number. There's been almost one million in terms of the booster jab delivered over up to this point, which is a significant help in trying to curb Everything it. you're saying, Neve, sounds like good things. And then we're hearing as well, Tony Hoolan saying, about the case numbers, the modelling, it's, it's actually more optimistic than the modelling. The booster jab is going well and we're hearing a bit of reaction to that saying already we're seeing case numbers dropping in over 65s. But they're still significantly high and that's the, the real difficulty. And then a raft of new restrictions that you're saying the government won't necessarily endorse because of Micheál Martin's promise that once we open up we want to stay open. Well that has been always been the government's intention that when we did come out of lockdowns and that we reopened, can I just finish Paul, when they open. did reopen that we would continue in that vein, that we would keep our schools open, that we would keep as many businesses open as possible and that is the absolute intention and but whatever already, we have already get, imposed restrictions we know about the Cinderella <coughs> curfew you know the yeah, closures know, at midnight I know and I mean I mean I suppose they're the kind of restrictions they're going to introduce to avoid a lockdown okay. at all costs John Lee is the government going to take what the Neffet, Neffet is saying uh, and run with that do you think on hospita hospitality, they haven't um, they haven't rejected proposals there in in their entirety. Of course, it's open to them to um, to jimmy them around as much as they can. But one would expect, particularly on hospitality, household recommendations, 
in this instance, I, I can't see them rejecting um, the, the proposals. Certainly, it's open to them to, to edit them. But I think this is different from play dates or anything like that. This seems to be something that's taken very seriously. You know, it's the job of journalists and the opposition to point out mistakes that have been made, and a lot of mistakes have been made. When you ask those questions, why Micheál Martin said um, we, we were opening up not to close down again, there are questions that have, have to be raised. Uh, chief among them, wh where, is, where is the long-term strategy? Mm. If this is now a long-term programme we're facing, with, there's been no increase in capacity in ICU beds. There's, there, there's many answers for why that is, yeah. but they were still promised in last year's budget. That hasn't happened. Um, the booster campaign, I ran a story last Sunday, I wrote a story last Sunday in the Mail on Sunday where <coughs> I had briefings from Neffet where Tony Houlihan said himself at, at their meeting last week that that booster campaign has not been well organised. They're conceding that themselves. Micheál Martin committed back in August um, to rolling out the booster campaign. Post-haste, it didn't happen. Uh, Leo Varadkar stood up in the Dáil on the 14th of October and spoke about Israel and their very successful booster campaign indicated it was going to happen and it didn't. Okay. It's been All very right. late. Well, look, another big issue that's come to the fore this week because it's all centering around schools and uh, fresh air in our schools, given those high number of uh, infection rates among 5 to 11 year olds, the issue of ventilation. And architect Orla Hegarty joins me now via Skype on the ventilation issue. Uh, Orla, you're welcome to the programme. I want to get reaction from you to comments that were made by Philip Nolan of Neffet, um, whose focus and expertise is around modelling, but he, he, was he was responding to questions around. Um, filters and ventilation in our schools and he says if you want to use a HEPA filter something that people like you have strongly endorsed um, you have to put it beside a source so it's good where you know the source somewhere like a hospital but it won't work in a classroom or a larger room when you have uh, in the corner of a large room when you may have 20 or 30 people there uh, what do you make of what he said well, unfortunately, he's incorrect in his understanding. Um, we know how uh, air behaves. It behaves like water and uh, it mixes, it dilutes, it can be filtered, um, it can be uh, moved around a room. And in fact, HEPA is used by the HSE themselves in, in hospital buildings. So uh, it isn't, um, it is, this isn't a medical issue. I suppose it's an engineering and architectural issue and it's based on the principles of chemistry and physics. So um, there's no doubt about this technology. It's been used for decades and it's very widely used. It's used in aircraft and in, in manufacturing, in clean room facilities. Um, and I suppose it, 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 it leads us to a wider issue, which you were just speaking about, is that there isn't a scientific base to any of these rules. Um, these rules are quite arbitrary. And there's a world of research out there and knowledge now after two years of pandemic about how the virus spreads and how transmission can be stopped. And, you know, we either work with the rules of the virus um, and, and we beat it by understanding the enemy. Uh, but picking arbitrary rules about table numbers and uh, you know where people can go and how long they can stay, none of these are evidence-based. And they cause huge collateral damage to uh, people's jobs and businesses and their social activity over Christmas, a lot of which could be a sacrifice that's pointless because it's not making any difference, while high-risk areas stay open. On the issue, sorry, Orla, of ventilation, um, you know, you've pointed to it being used, the, the likes of the HEPA filters being used um, very well in, in other areas and, and in, in various buildings. But do you think the government is listening to the message on it? Because there's been a lot about it this week. Do you think we are going to see an announcement around it? Would you reckon when they're looking at the strategy for the new year that it may form part of the, of the mitigation strategy? 
Well, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, a lot of us have been speaking about the physics and chemistry of virus transmission for the last year and a half and been proposing um, very simple measures that could protect people in, in care homes and in schools and, uh, you know, children in um, uh, supported uh, accommodation and institutional housing. Um, and all of these high-risk areas where we know the virus is spreading as a factor of the building. And, you know, we have the research base in order to intervene and to make Make targeted action, uh, but that hasn't been adopted, unfortunately, okay. and, and it isn't being engaged with. Okay, well, let's ask Neve Smith about that. There has been a lot made around um, HEPA filters, ventilation in our schools, especially when masks came in this week for third-class pupils upwards. About why don't we look at other things like? clean, fresh air in our classrooms. Well, I, I listened to Erla a couple of times today in her contributions around this topic, and I would have to agree uh, with a lot of what she's saying. I mean, you know, good ventilation has to play a part in, in all this. And I know that Paul has brought forward a bill on this issue this week, and my colleague Niall Collins and uh, Damien so why, English. Why isn't something being done around it then? Well, I would say the Cabinet will be meeting tomorrow, and it will have to be a consideration, Claire, in all of their deliberations about restrictions and about, I suppose, a pathway going forward, because it would seem like this, this virus, unfortunately, is going to be with us for a long yeah, time to come. I'm just thinking about that uh, expert group on ventilation that came back to government in March of this year, recommending the likes of these filters in poorly ventilated buildings and nothing done about it. Yeah, well, look, at I suppose I can't really answer for that other than I know that the government is kind of like firefighting at this stage because of... It's very knee-jerk, though, isn't it? It, 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 it? This is changing every day. And it really is. And, and that's not an exaggeration to say that. And I go back to the point, this new variant that we had, none of us even had a title for it last week. That's how fast and transient this is. Yes, but a lot was being talked about around, uh, and the, the, the numbers in our schools were spiralling yeah. well, before disagreeing. we got I'm the not first detected with Paul, case and I think, of, of Omicron fair, here. The government did accept uh, Paul's bill, and they will obviously have to look at this in a very serious way. Paul. Yeah, I mean, why are we back here to the point that we're back here? And it's because contact tracing and testing in schools was abandoned and the government kept going with the mantra that was not true, that the schools are safe, schools are safe, schools are safe, until all of a sudden they never said that. Because they pushed people back into public transport at 100% capacity, back into to work at 100% capacity without dealing with the question of ventilation, because they didn't invest in health, health capacity, because they didn't deal with the crucial issue of uh, ventilation. And like, Neve's right, obviously, in the sense that Omicron, we didn't have that a couple of weeks ago, or we didn't know we had it a couple of weeks ago. But the science in terms of how the virus spreads has been clear for the vast majority of the almost two years that we've been in this pandemic now. And that is that the vast amount of transmission that takes place is airborne-based. And yet, if you look at the public health messaging in this country, it's still primarily about washing your hands. You can go to a pub or a nightclub and you get a load of hand sanitizer, but you won't see a window open or a CO2 monitor. And the government has neglected. I mean, we have rules and laws about air quality Although in chicken coops. a lot of businesses will say they've invested a lot of money in, in making their spaces as, you know, but, as clean, but we have a, clean we have aired a, as possible. We have a Minister for Health who is determined not to listen to the experts on ventilation for a repeatedly on the question of HEPA filters in schools who have said, even the Department of Education has said, HEPA filters have a role to play. It, it is, Do you think you there's know, going to be a turnaround on it? 
I really hope so. I mean, it's 12 million euros to put a happy filter in every classroom. So. I, I do. I mean, all of these have to be taken into consideration. And I think it is, you know, it is science that says, you know, it's an airborne virus and it is something Even that can be Even though the minister isn't listening to I, I wouldn't say the minister other than that, that, that's not the HS, Other than that HSE group, that he's listened to the HSE group around the issue of and ventilation. And discussions with, with his colleagues too. I mean, they are getting expert okay. advice, as, along with having to make tough, very tough decisions to try and keep the country going in the midst of all of this. Okay, well, let's go to Germany now because it's introduced lockdown measures for unvaccinated people, excluding them from shops and many events. Euronews Europe correspondent Shona Murray explained the new measures to me, which came at the end of Chancellor Angela Merkel's term in office as leader of Germany. So uh, essentially it's going to be restrictions for the unvaccinated. So it's very, going to be very difficult for someone to do anything like go into non-essential retail bars, restaurants, unless you're vaccinated in Germany. And this is because uh, the healthcare system is um, coming under so much pressure. They have record numbers of infections. Um, and it, it does look as if it's a disproportionate number of people who are in hospitals and ICUs that are unvaccinated. Germany has an interesting situation in that Western Germany is about 80% or just over vaccinated fully. And then parts of Eastern Germany, you have uh, under 60%, 57 in some areas. Those parts of Eastern Germany, um, they're already under lockdown and facing restrictions, vaccinated or not. And now we hear that uh, Chancellor Merkel, outgoing Chancellor Merkel and incoming Chancellor Olaf Scholz is saying that February by February, everybody will need to get vaccinated. They are considering mandatory vaccinations, which is something that Chancellor Merkel said she never wanted to do. But tonight she gave her final speech and she was, um, you know, really uh, philosophical. She talked about democracy thriving on trust, thriving on solidarity. And where there was disinformation, conspiracy theories and a denial of scientific fact, she called for loud resistance. After 16 years in the job, indeed, she is uh, signing out uh, today, as you say. But um, after all that time, she's really handing on this political hot potato to her successor, Olaf Scholz, isn't she? That's right. Um, but I think the two of them have worked together over the past few weeks uh, with on this issue. And they've also met with the leaders of the 16 lender in, in Germany as well, because they're going to try to make it as consensus-based as possible. And there is a consensus in Germany that this is not a sustainable situation. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, she and Olaf Scholz talk about this now when yesterday uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, former minister in uh, Angela Merkel's government, also said that from her personal perspective uh, and also as a doctor, she thought that mandatory vaccinations should be something that the EU should have a conversation about amongst the member states. Now, she, the EU, have no competency when it comes to health, so it's not something that the EU would impose. It's just a conversation uh, about the single market, essentially, because they see the EU as one epidemiological unit. Okay, Shona Murray, a Europe correspondent with Euronews, thank you for joining us tonight with that update from Germany. And John, what we're seeing there in Germany, um, the issue of mandatory vaccines is one that's it's, it's fairly interesting. Ursula von der Leyen wanting to have that conversation and now we see that they're likely to come in in Germany in February. Is it something, given the extension of the vaccine certs that we're already seeing Neffet recommending now, that we could see in the near future here? Uh, I, I don't think we'll see mandatory vaccinations. There, there just would be too much of a kickback. When I ask ministers, and this goes back a month ago, because I think there was, this was this first began in, in Austria, um, whether we would consider um, 
restricting in the way Germany has uh, people who are non-vaccinated from going into certain areas, I was told we already have. And we're expanding the use of the COVID, uh, the COVID cert. Um, we have been told there might be an expansion of the enforcement of it. We're, we're told that quite often. But, but I also seem to remember reading in the Financial Times when uh, Angela Merkel first discussed those, um, th those restrictions for the non-vaccinated that she, she herself said they might be somewhat, somewhat symbolic. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think a, a, a democracy like Ireland is going to force people to get vaccines. But there has been some discussion of health workers um, seeing mandatory uh, vaccine, vaccination. OK, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Orla Hegarty, who joined us via Skype tonight, Paul Murphy and John Lee. Neve is staying with us because coming up next, the future of the news media in the digital age. Stay with us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, the Newspaper Industry Awards took place earlier this evening online with the Golfgate story winning the scoop of the year for the Irish Examiner and journalists of the year, Aoife Grace Moore and Paul Hosford. Well, to assess the current state of the news media, Neve is still here with us and I'm also joined by Sunday World Investigations editor Nicola Talent and Colm O'Reilly, O'Reilly, CEO of News Brands Ireland and on Skype tonight by Irish Examiner editor Tom Fitzpatrick. And I want to come to you first, Tom. Many congratulations to your team on the awards won tonight. Scoop of the year for Aoife Moore and Paul Hosford uh, for Golfgate. On that story, it really was a tipping point, wasn't it, for many people in the middle of this pandemic to see this group gathering, um, defying um, you know, the regulations that were in place and the feeling of we're all in this together, certainly getting a bashing. It certainly was, yeah. I mean, it came at a time when... You know, journalists themselves, like everyone else, were, were struggling. And, you know, we had people in the Irish Examiner who had weddings cancelled and couldn't attend funerals and were dealing with grief themselves. And uh, I think it really just, just you know, touched a nerve with so many people that, you know, it got everyone talking and, and uh, the frustration out there, the anger was was really palpable. Um, and Aoife and Paul, you know, they're, they're fantastic and they did, they did a superb job and, and that's what we're, we're here to do is to keep holding power to account and, and I'm just so, so thrilled for them and so proud of them. 
Yeah, never more important is that in this time, in this digital age when it's, it's called a pandemic, but there's also an infodemic. There's so much information out there and it's wading through all that information to get to the real news. So we have journalists like Aoife and Paul putting in the hard yards to get that story. Um, and, and that's really important, isn't it, in this time? Absolutely, yeah, and, and you know, Aoife, Paul, but, but both, all our journalists, it's, it's exceptionally hard. We left the office in March last year and we haven't been back. Um, so, so everyone's working remotely. You don't have that buzz of a newsroom. You don't get to ask questions in the same way. Young journalists coming in don't get to ask questions in the same way. Our health correspondent, Niamh, uh, I mean, she probably feels like she works 24 hours a day because this is a story that just keeps going and going. Um, the, the journalists in there in the, in the Irish Examiner just, you know, really help each other and, uh, you know, keep keep doing on a daily basis everything that we ask them to do, which is to, to you know, tell our readers what, what the real story is. And that's that's increasingly hard with not only, you know, misinformation, but also getting to the bottom of what, what government's really saying and, and what government's acting on. Uh, you know, we've had situations in the past, like with the vaccine rollout, where we really had to consider whether the information that we're getting is is the right information and whether it's it's right for readers, particularly in print, who are often older and, and really rely on the newspaper for, for trusted journalism. So it's difficult times, but we, we're continuing to uh, continuing to achieve, and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with that. Well, congratulations to you and your team, Tom. Um, Nicola, I want to come to you. You're another award winner tonight for your podcast, uh, Crime World Podcast of the Year. Congratulations on that. Thanks, delighted, it, obviously. <laughs> it's actually shown, though, in this pandemic, how journalists have had to move into maybe other areas. I mean, you are an investigative journalist and you've traditionally, uh, it's been print media, mm. but you've moved into the area of podcasts, something that re have really taken off in the time, but it's, it's all about keeping up, isn't it, with, with this ever, this increasingly busy news cycle. Yeah, completely. And look, it's like a little bit of an industrial revolution in one way for us. We're just moving what we do into different mediums, into audio, into, you know, into broadcast. Um, Crime World, I started in the middle of the sort of pandemic, the lockdowns. It started in my kitchen because uh, it had to move because the fridge was very annoying because the, the noise from the fridge was a little bit too much and then it was too echoey. So it moved from there into my front room. And you know what I mean? It just shows really journalism, whatever way you have to do it, 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 it just breeds life into stories. And, and the audio medium is huge. The podcast medium is huge. For all media now going forward, it is definitely an offering that we're going to have to give along with our print media, along with our online. And we constantly just have to move at the times. You yeah. know, the audio, the podcast works because people are on the move. They have it in their ears. It's, it's you know, you've no distractions. Uh, I love it, I have to say. And it's like, it's like a, a, a new, it's like as if I'm starting again. I really, really enjoy doing it. Brilliant. Uh, but, you know, on the subject of things moving digital, they're moving online. Mm. That's also presented its own challenges for you as an investigative journalist. You're covering those big stories and you're putting in the long hours, you're doing the hard investigative work and such is the news cycle that I presume as soon as they, they land, they're, they're picked up and they move on. And all that work, hours, money, resources you've put in, in a traditional media sense, mm. suddenly moves into the general online digital news cycle to be. See, newspaper journalists are kind of used to that. I mean, like, you know, you go in every morning and you're greeted with a blank book like with nothing in it and what you have to do is every day you have to creatively fill that with news and obviously there's news happening and 
you know, people's minds are working out headlines and what to do and how to how to put it on. And people go out every day and buy this product. I mean, journalists are actually probably the be the best marketeers in the entire world. They're selling something every mm. single day, and you're just basically moving that to different medium. And that's what we have to do now going forward. Yeah. Uh, what What do you think the the challenges are, Colin, when we're looking at this? Um, you know, reporting in a pandemic has been mm. very difficult and challenging for all concerned, I presume. But it's actually wading through uh, the misinformation to get the, the story out there has been particularly challenging for the media. Yeah, look, it has. And if you go back five years, I don't think any of us had actually heard the term fake news. Um, and so what's hugely important is the trust that the public have in news sources and news titles. And I think we're very fortunate in Ireland, in fact, that we've got some very, very strong titles and members of news brands who spend huge time, as Nicola does, in researching her stories to ensure that public service journalism is the very heart of what they do. Mm. The audience is there for our titles and for our brands. And, and you know, 72% of Irish people will read a newspaper either online or in print copy every month. We sell 10 and a half million newspapers every week. So the, the numbers are there. The issue for us is more the monetization of digital. And that's the big challenge as we see traditional print circulation decline digital has become a bigger thing and it's that monetization and how we're able to compete on a level playing field with big tech and with the, the duopoly of Facebook and Google. Yeah, it's also, it's, it's, it's increasingly obvious that people are getting their uh, news now through social media platforms and this is why you have traditional media adapting to that. Um, but it does present a challenge, doesn't it, Neve? It does, of course, and that's why the government has set up the Future of the Media Commission. I know most people, I know Colm has fed into that and, and that work is completed. It's with the Taoiseach and Minister so Martin. what's it looking at? Well, it's looking at um, print, broadcast, publishing and, of course, the social media platforms and looking at the print world in particular and how that will be sustained over the next 10 years because we know revenues have fallen, people are looking for the more immediacy in terms of social media platforms for getting their news and um, it's been mindful of that we are very um, lucky in this country to have so many print media outlets too and that's a very tr trusted source I think with the public particularly uh, during Covid so I suppose it's to nurture that and to make it sustainable because we don't want to see the demise and I know it's been difficult for like p papers like my own, the anglo to the Northern Standard, really trusted source of media, Northern Sound, and people really, I think people have a new appreciation really of that source of media too. But like Nicola said, we have to, media and journalists have kind of reinvented themselves and how they produce their work too. And with politics and, and with a global pandemic, news changes every yeah. couple of hours. It is, it is about holding big tech to account though on all of this, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the, the Oireachtas Committee that I chair have spent many, many months listening to all of the stakeholders um, in, in relation to um, how the big tech giants perform and we have established that self-regulation self that they have at the moment has been no regulation uh, and that's the 30, there's 33 recommendations for through the pre-legislative scrutiny that have been brought forward so I'm looking forward to the Minister bringing this into the Dáil and into Leinster House in relation to um, how we actually deal with these and more importantly how we make them accountable uh, and how we ensure that they are recognised of the, of the publishers that they are, that they're, you know, yeah. they have been able to do what they like up to this point. Yeah, and Nicola, I suppose when you're looking as well at, at how social media works, the online targeting of journalists is something you're nodding your head there um, personally you've been affected by so look I work in crime I write a lot about organized crime and I can tell you that organized criminals are far wealthier than the news media at this point and they have actually structured PR departments and they're putting out their 
their news mm. through, they, they, I mean, they are doing that. And they're targeting journalists, they're targeting people, they are getting their narrative out there. And it's really, really important. That's just in my, you know, end of the business. It's really, really important that we keep funding and even like the likes of the local newspapers that they are continuously funded that that news media that traditional news media is a stronger voice mm. than you know the likes of the criminal organizations who are i mean they are literally they have departments they're like a corporate entity and they have a marketing department uh, colin finally to finish on this do you think the future is hopeful for media in this country Absolutely. Look, you know, people now with the advent of the smartphone, people read more news now than they ever have done. When we bought the Business Post, our research showed the average person has six news apps on their phone, right? So it's not an issue of the news not being there. The news is there and our job is to provide the news. And as Nicola said, you know, it's not about producing a printed newspaper. We've invested in, in our multimedia platforms. So we tell the audience the story the way they want to get it. Uh, we're very hopeful, um, but you know it is a fight, and you know we are dependent on. We see the future of media commission as a once-in-a-generation opportunity for the government to put in a holistic media policy for the country. Um, we're hopeful now that we won't okay. be let down on that. We'll have to see what comes of that next year. Um, my thanks to you all, uh, to Colm and to Tom. Nicola is staying with us. Um, and thank you, Neve. And coming up after the break, we're going to take a look back at the big stories of the week, including that mega lotto jackpot, which just keeps rolling over. Stay with us. Let's take a look now at the big stories of the week. Nicola Talent is still with me, and I'm joined by journalist Ian O'Doherty and pharmacist Kate O'Connell. You're both very welcome along tonight. Um, I want to start on these restrictions, these recommendations we're hearing from Neffet in the run-up to Christmas, um, uh, talking about uh, limiting household gatherings, cutting down on, on, on table numbers and the time you can spend in bars and restaurants and a further curb around nightclubs, dancing and generally, I suppose, enjoying yourself in the run-up to the festive season. What do you make of it all, Ian? This is a little like deja vu, what we had last year, well, just before they were eased again at Christmas time. Just when we thought we were out, they drag us right back in again. And that's the general perception from the people I've been speaking to. Some of the, I mean, some of the uh, the new recommendations and the restrictions. It's, it's like all of a sudden the, the government was taken over by a bunch of hardline Presbyterians. It's like, no dancing, no fun. You know that might lead to other things. Um, the funny thing is, and it shows how beaten down I think a lot of us have been, is that nobody's really surprised. Um, but on the other hand, what I would also uh, point out is there seems to be no understanding of human nature no understanding of the nature in which people socialise and public patience, as much as we've been ground down by the whole thing, public patience is wearing thin because there's a sense we have never had one coherent, consistent message. Now that's understandable on the basis that, you know, a pandemic is a changing pitch all the time. But I think people are just chased off. And so now we're going to have another rotten Christmas which we kind of pretty much from August had been. And the thing is, it's the little leaks from the government. And when they say, we're not really going to do this, but we are thinking about it, then you go, they're going to do it. And, there's, and it's this thing of, don't treat us like fools. Come out and give us a straight thing of what we have to do, but don't treat us for fools. 
Yeah, there's also a sense that all of this is very reactive, this knee-jerk sense that, say, around the issue, say, of masking for kids, it's been talked about for months, it was no, 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 suddenly it's yes, and then it has to be in place tomorrow morning when, you start, when you're going to school with your nine-year-old. Um, and I think that's difficult for people, isn't it? Look, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I literally, any time I go to do something, I have to Google it to see what restrictions are there at the moment. I'm not following it from a day-to-day -day basis. I just, when I go to do something myself, I check, you know, travel there at the moment. So from tomorrow, is it, that everybody has to have these tests to come back into the country? Like if somebody's going away for a weekend, I know, I was talking to someone today, going to London for the weekend, they have to have the test coming back. It's just the way it has to be at the yeah. moment. I mean, I don't, to be honest with you, I just, I just think we're just getting through, we're trudging through. I'm really hopeful that this fourth wave will stabilise and not be as dramatic as the others and that we will just be able to kind of go through it and hopefully, hopefully by February, March. Yeah, at the heart of this is a public health crisis and, and you know what we're facing in our hospitals and you know Neffet's saying look we these measures are required because of the stress and uh, how overstretched the likes of the ICU are and, and, and hospitals in general. A booster plan is at the heart of this. This is something that's supposed to be giving us hope. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem very coherent. You're a pharmacist, Kate. So, uh, how is it rolling out for you? Do you think people are aware? I mean, is it clear how you can get your booster when you're entitled to it, and whether you have to wait for the HSE, the doctor to call you, or can you just go down to your local pharmacy? It's it doesn't a, it, seem like it's no, not very. It is it a bit fragmented, like and I think that that's nobody, nobody's fault in particular. I think one of the issues is some people who got their initial shots in their GPs. Now, GPs, because of the burden of illness in the community, especially in small children, they can't do as many vaccines as they were doing. The HSE, for instance, sent me an appointment for a booster, but why would I go to them for a booster when I had the stuff to give? I didn't give it to myself, but you know what I mean? So mm. um, many frontline staff were done in their, in their place of work that got appointments. So it is a little bit confusing, but it has sort of levelled out over the last week. And, Do you um, think people are clear? I wouldn't be at all clear no, people now are, where are I would going go to City West or they're going on the, the trying to book onto the HSC or they're trying to get onto their GP or their pharmacy, the multiple bookings. But there seems to be in the last few days nearly everybody like we're doing a few next weeks of stragglers anyone over 70 literally jumps the queue ahead of everybody else no matter what the other person's reason is and we're trying to eat into that but it is a little bit fragmented but i don't think any of us anticipated even in 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 working in the health service that the impact of boosters probably will be so great on the elderly we're, we're seeing a huge reduction in illness in care settings mm. and we're already seeing that now in the older population the community so that message really has to get out there that people yep. need to be boosted okay. especially well, the people with the Janssen. The, the thing is even in terms of the mixed messaging um, and as uh, I referred earlier to the Paul Sheridan piece in the Indo which is very human nature which the, this government doesn't seem to understand very well is that you know you can't factor out human nature you can't factor out nine-year-old children and say they're all going to obey the rules the way we all wear the masks and stuff like that like it's it seems to be a complete um oblivious attitude towards how people actually work but then you have a situation where Michal Martin has come out about the the kids masks he's not comfortable he's the Taoiseach 
and he is not and he is not comfortable with the idea of making nine-year-olds wear masks. I, I and then you have Leo Varadkar saying about the, the, the nightclubs and the hospitality industry, which has been ruined yet again. And he said, aren't they great? They're taking one for the team. And everybody I know, and I know a lot of people in the hospitality industry, they're all going, what team is this? Because they've been completely yeah. abandoned. I, I think okay. the gap between what people who are restricting their movements and people have a ha and have been for two years and people who have just been like, going mad has grown. I think that's feeding think in. people are going mad though? Some I mean, people, there is an element. There okay, is always an well, element. Well, I mean, when but you reopen that, that things creates. and people are vaccinated and they're told they can go out well, and live their lives, exactly, then you, you can, can understand. understand why. You can understand. Okay, we're going to move on to another story that's non-COVID related now. This is of Alec Baldwin. He's done his first sit-down interview since the shooting on set of, uh, on, of his Western um, movie, Rust, which killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Let's have a little listen to uh, a clip from that interview. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. How did a real bullet get on I, that set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. Yeah, that's all, um, you know, around that story, obviously it generated, um, it was a huge tragedy um, on set regarding that. And then, you know, Alec Baldwin, it's his first time speaking in, in a sort of sit down in a formal capacity around that. And now this teaser saying, I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger. It's left pe many people wondering, well, if you didn't, who did? What happened on set there, Nic Nicola? Well, maybe the gun went off. You know what I mean? He, what he's saying clearly there is he did not point a gun at somebody and pull a trigger. You know, so a gun can actually go off and it's, I mean, there was obviously safety in issues on that set. There seems to have been union issues with a lot of the workers that were there. Um, full and thorough investigation will go, will go on into that. Ballistics would be a very good, accurate, scientific investigative process that will show what happened with that gun. But there was, as he says, a bullet in it and it went off. He didn't point the gun and he didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, um, it's an unbelievable story. You'd have to say it's really the end of um, a tragedy there and um, a family and a daughter who's lost her mum and a husband who's lost a wife and, you know, for Alec Baldwin as well, the end of a career, you'd have to say. Well, I think it's interesting that um, a lot of people have been saying what a tragedy it is for Alec Baldwin. Um, now, I love Alec Baldwin as an actor, from Glen Glary Glen Ross up to 30 Rockets Jack Donaghy. He's brilliant. I'm, I'm very partial towards him. Wouldn't share his politics, but I think he's a fantastic actor. Uh, but this is not a tragedy for him. It's a tragedy for Helena Hutchins no. and her family. And that's Usually. the thing that needs to be remembered. But I would accuse him of doing a bit of the Meghan Markles in this interview. Um, because somebody pulled the trigger. If the bullet had just gone off, then the barrel would have exploded. Well, maybe maybe um, that's just well, the no, teaser for maybe C. And, and we'll but the thing, more. But the interesting thing about this is that if you read... We all hear about these, you know... Uh, Apocalypse now and all these yeah. terrible movie shoots that were absolutely, you know, awful and really mm. ruling. This just seems cheap and shoddy. And okay. the fact that all the union workers left within two Big days issues. before this happened, it showed and that this was an accident that was waiting to happen. Still be questions around that. Before we go, we have to talk about the lotter jackpot. It still hasn't been won for the 50th draw in a row. It's now capped at 19 million euro. Um, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a winner in the run up to Christmas? Well, I've spent a few times at this stage. I've definitely run through it a few times. Um, maybe Bernard Durkin was right. Uh, maybe there, ne there needs to be a rejig, but it's causing a bit. It's, it's mad. It's like statistically, it you know shouldn't happen like yeah. this. 
Um, but a thousand to one that we that we would be in this yeah. situation and the lot of themselves saying it wasn't supposed That's to be. That's better odds than winning long. the lotto though. And it's kind of like you go this stage, we've stopped even asking, did someone win the lotto? It's like, well, sure, no one's ever going to win the lotto. But it'd be great for some family. And yeah. I hope um, whoever gets it um, has best of luck with it um, over the Christmas period, if someone ever gets it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is it. There could be an Oireachtas hearing into it yet. Well, that is it from us. My thanks to the panel who've joined us tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. But from all the team here. Good night. Take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.